0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, January 8th, 2021. I am John Hortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. So here we are, uh, approaching 48 hours after the storming of the Capitol and um, what was unthinkable. Uh, aside from the attack itself, is now becoming increasingly thinkable. the The latest word that we're hearing as we as we tape this on Friday morning is that uh, the House will impeach uh, President Trump uh, if uh, if the Twenty Fifth Amendment is not invoked. Uh, uh, a very interesting reason not to invoke the Twenty Fifth Amendment came up. Um, Someone last night was pointing out to me that uh, the Twenty Fifth Amendment, being being the amendment to deal with a president's uh, literal incapacitation, um, does, does not uh, does not envision a moment at which the president himself can say, "No, no, I'm still the president." That you would actually have someone invoking this uh, constitutional process that temporarily hands over the powers of the presidency to the vice president. But the sitting president saying, no, 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 this is a coup, uh, I'm, I'm still here, um, it is perhaps a weakness uh, of the 25th Amendment that that is a possibility, though the 25th Amendment envisions this by making the process by which it is invoked so Byzantine. Uh, you have to have the vice president uh, invoke it, and then a majority of the cabinet vote for it, and a letter transmitted to Congress, which needs to accept the letter. And then there is a short period of time in which the president has the right to respond, or you know, say uh, the president has the right to uh, revoke it by saying, "No, no, I'm back, and I'm ready to take over the powers and all this." And of course, we're we're now into 12 days until the until the inauguration. So um, uh, I, again, I assert, and I'd like to hear, Abe, you, your thoughts on this. I mean, I assert that the 25th Amendment is an inappropriate remedy. The issue is not the president's incapacitation. It is uh, his high crime and misdemeanor in, uh, in provoking a, a riot that led to the storming of the Capitol and therefore was uh, he himself needs to be removed from office and prevented from ever serving, from ever running for office
1: again. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, The idea that uh, he is somehow um, incapacitated, um, I think is um, uh, also disproven to some extent by the most recent post horror video uh, he released yesterday which um, shows him being completely cognizant of the um, danger that uh, he is in now and uh, uh, because he, is, he was trying to project um, fully this sort of chastened um, uh, uh, image of himself yesterday, um, talking about just simply focusing on a peaceful transfer of power from here on out and um, talking about all his challenges to the election in the past tense, um, and sort of saying this is over. So he's so the, the, you, there's very little case, I think, to make that um that he this was this is this was somehow an expression of his um incapacity in in any way. i, I agree I agree it's it's more of an impeachable um, offense.
0: I mean, I think uh, should he, you know, today at some point say something or do something that represents a retraction of his statement? Yesterday, then we would have some kind of a, a case for uh, uh, mental inconstancy uh, bord- uh, bordering on instability that suggests that there is an existential danger to the country in this guy having access to the button. Uh, but uh, in the absence of that, um, I think you're I think you're right. And in any case, Noah, we talked about this yesterday, but um, for the future of the republic. And I don't want to sound like excessively melodramatic, but the head of the executive branch used a mob to stage a kind of attack, not only on the legislative branch, but on his own vice president sitting in his capacity as president of the Senate. Um, It is incumbent on the legislative branch to impeach and remove him from office to close this door forever. To say that if you play this game, you are out, you will be out. And and what's more, the the shortness of time itself is a virtue here, not not a curse. Because it is, I am sorry, you even think about pulling that trigger and you will be out on your ass so fast and humiliated and become a pariah in American history so fast that you better not even play that game at all.
2: I think uh, it's not especially melodramatic to describe the sacking of the Capitol by the, uh, by a mob that was sicked on them by the president um, as melodramatic. That's a pretty dramatic set of events, and I don't think it's I think it's hard to overstate the implications on, uh, um, you know, if he displays the kind of behavior that he precisely displayed after Charlottesville, is that the kind of inconsistency that would uh, that would trigger the 25th Amendment? I mean, we don't necessarily have to wait to find out, frankly. And I'm unconvinced that the violation of the spirit of the 25th Amendment as it is, and it would be a violation of the spirit, but certainly not the letter. Um, it represents some kind of a, a expansion of the terms of engagement here. That doesn't that doesn't um, bother me as much as the fact that it's simply not going to happen. Um, what is what, what will happen is the proper thing, which is that Congress, which has been offended um, the prime branch of government in this country um, needs to reassert its primacy and to do so not for Donald Trump, but for the sake of posterity and to demonstrate that this is something that you cannot get away with without some sort of uh, consequence and I don't know whether or not Republicans would be on board with this in the Senate. I suspect there will be a handful. Hopefully there would be enough to follow through with the measure. Um, but to not do, to not at least consider the impeachment articles will probably pass the house. I don't think that's going to be a problem to not consider removing him from office and getting at least halfway there, maybe 58, 59 votes. I, 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 it, I think it would be difficult to find 60, but the, the weight of history is so profound here. And we were talking about
0: you need need 66
2: or 67. You need two thirds. Okay. So that's definitely not going to happen. Oh, I don't agree. I don't agree. Well, here's the stakes. And we were talking about this before. Um, It's not like this is a news cycle event. What happened on Wednesday cannot be undone. It cannot be unseen. You cannot reverse events that culminated in the sacking of the Capitol by a mob, which could have been an absolute bloodbath. If there had been an organized cabal there that was designed had designs on murdering everyone in the building, they could have got away with it, or at least a significant amount. Capitol police were overwhelmed. They were bursting into places that were secure areas of the Capitol. One of them was shot to death as a result of this onslaught. And they burst their way into the House chamber and they burst their way into the Senate chamber. If they were trying to get into offices, it could have been an absolute epochal tragedy. And for Congress to not respond to that with the the fury of history um, would be a dereliction of their responsibility. Commensurate with what Donald Trump did.
3: But there's all there's also to, to talk about this balance restoring some balance to the way our government is supposed to operate post-Trump. The other part is that you know he's basically been attacking the judicial branch since the election results came in, right? Going to court after court after court and insisting that, you know, I put my judges in there, they should rule my way. And they haven't. That that branch is held. Then he attacks the actual certification of the election in Congress. And I do, I agree with you, John. I think it's incumbent and and with you, Noah, that it's incumbent. As a just as a matter of of uh, reaffirming the way our system is supposed to work, that it be impeachment. And I'll add that this is why way back when those of us uh, were were chastising people on the left who were constantly saying Trump is crazy. We got to invoke the twenty fifth amendment. Way back when he was first elected, that and in even actually the earlier efforts at impeachment. Which there, there's a reason we want to be very careful with with invoking these sorts of procedures against a sitting president who's been duly elected, because you want water down their impact. Like, this is clearly a situation where impeachment is called for. Um, You know, had he actually shown signs of serious dementia during his presidency, that might have triggered a a genuine 25th Amendment. But these have been used as partisan tools for so long that this, in some ways, there's a kind of clarifying moment here where we can say, wait a minute, this is what this is for.
0: Right. Now, I think this is a very important point because... um... People are now saying, ah, now you're jumping on board. Now you're for the 25th Amendment or impeachment. We do not indict people and send them to jail or whatever you do or convict them on the basis of prospective crimes. That is not what we do in this country or in any country for pre-crimes. Um, no case was built against Trump except for the case on the, on the Ukrainian phone call. No case was built when people started talking about the 25th Amendment in January of 2017. He was a jerk. He was a fool. He was saying disgusting things, all of that. He had committed no offense and was not showing that he was incapable of of holding the powers of the office. He has now demonstrated that. As it happens, he did it 14 days before before he the inauguration of his successor, it doesn't matter if it was 14 minutes before the inauguration of his successor. The crime has been committed. <clears throat> People who said this is all going to end badly were right. <clears throat> I think <clears throat> Trump himself predicted that it would end badly by wandering around in 2015 and 2016, reading that poem about the snake, uh, which basically ends with you know what it, you know. It's like you knew that I was a snake when I met you. Right. We knew who he was. But it is a
2: mistake to attribute this to Trump and Trump alone. Excising Trump from the political scene will not cure this disease. It's a cancer on the American political idea. It is it is bipartisan. Mobs are not mobs are not uh, native to one party or another. Um, The reason why you do this is to demonstrate that what is now thinkable, the sacking of the Capitol by force must be rendered unthinkable by whatever means necessary. And that's not going to be done. And you can't do that by force and force alone. It must be done through legal mechanisms. And there is one remedy. That is absolutely right.
0: And this is a very important point, which is, um, uh, right, that something has been made thinkable. It doesn't, the ideological partisan or, I don't know what you want to call it, sort of philosophical underpinnings of, The notion that because uh, you don't like something that happened or believe that something untoward happened, uh, that you and 300 of your friends um, or or allies are in a position to uh, overthrow the good working order of a system that has been in place since 1791 or 1789 um, because you're angry uh has to be squelched because anybody can come up with that philosophy. I you know uh we were texting last night and I I brought up the um the formulation that people found very helpful in 2016, which was my friend Selena Zito's idea that people misunderstood the nature of Trump's support uh because people who listened to him took him seriously, but not literally. So if he said we want to knock heads together, he didn't mean it literally. What he meant was, uh, you know, uh, these people think they can do anything and somebody should stop them. Or whatever whatever it was that he said that he did not mean literally, but, w- but was taken seriously. But you know what? The problem with that formulation is that this is a country of 330 million people. And the reason that we talk about the responsibility of politicians with their rhetoric is that it only takes one to become an assassin, and it only takes three hundred to become a mob that stormed the Capitol. And if you say things that ignite that, you are being evil. What happened this week was an act of evil on Trump's part. It doesn't, and he may think that people take him seriously, but not literally. But guess what? A couple hundred people took him literally and 10 or 15 of them walked through the Capitol building saying, where is Mike Pence? I want to kill him.
1: And, you know, that the point of that formulation initially was to, to was to say to Trump's critics and detractors that you don't understand him. You're getting it wrong. You're taking him literally, um, but not seriously. But this is but this has undermined that entirely because it turns out that it's his supporters or at least right. a significant, significant right. enough number of them who yeah. understood him literally and not seriously
0: right and the thing that we need to suss out and that is the task of our of our time now for people on the right is how how many of them are there uh, i don't mean that there's going to be a dragnet now and uh, everybody who was captured on on those videos is going to be swept up in the in the dragnet. I mean, if they can find and arrest the woman on the tape the woman on the tape who, you know, uh uh jumped on the 14 year old boy in the Soho Hotel lobby because she thought he mistakenly that he that he'd stolen her phone. If she can be found and located and arrested as she was, every single one of those people is going to get arrested. So we're going to have mass arrests. There are going to be hundreds of people dragoon and taken. And that, that will be good because uh uh, they will be taken and their social media will be scoured and all of their associations will be found. This is, it's not going to take years of wiretapping and, you know, infiltrations of organizations to find, to find who these, who these people are and w- the network of, of, um, of criminality uh, that, that under uh, that, that underlay that the, the people who actually went into the Capitol building Uh some of them may not be that, really all that criminal they were just there and they they walked in and they were therefore guilty of criminal trespass and all of that but you know there was according to what i was reading and some of the videos i saw there was this moment when a bunch of people in yellow some kind of yellow semi-military garb rather purposefully knocked over the first barricade and seemed to know where they were going and what they were doing, meaning there was a plan to do this.
3: Well and there were Molotov there were Molotov cocktails and pipe right. bombs found in the city, which right. shows that there was a they lot had, of planning. Right. Yes, they, they, had,
0: they had gas. They had when when the Capitol Police fired um uh you know, sort of whatever you call that stuff. It's not it's not it's it's not gas, but it's whatever. They they fired the things that create white smoke. Irritants, right? Chemical irritants to disperse them. They were answered with chemical irritants. There were people there who intended to do this with malice aforethought. And again, it doesn't matter if there were five of them or hundred and five of them. Trump lit the fu- pushed the button. If Trump hadn't said go to the ca- go to the Capitol, if Trump hadn't said show, hadn't used the word show of force, if Rudy Giuliani hadn't said trial by combat, if 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 Trump said they need to see that we're, you know, we're out in force and we need to turn this around, it would not
2: have happened. That's why it's an act. I of telegraphed human. this. Look, there's a, we've been, I mean, it's hard not to think of the fall of the Roman Republic in these days. And, um, you know, it's, it's a pop culture reference, but it's, it, but it's, um, appropriate here. There's uh, HBO had a great miniseries series about Rome and I'm constantly struck by this set of dialogue that occurred after Julius Caesar was murdered in a conversation between Mark Antony and Cicero and Cicero is appealing to logic and law and Mark Antony kind of agrees, but nevertheless notes that he's the guy with the angry mob and you can't argue with the angry mob. The angry mob is going to win. And that's what Donald Trump telegraphed on the evening of January 5th, where he said, to the Senate Republicans, look, these people are not going to stand for this. They're not going to stand for this election to be, to be uh, stolen from me. And there's going to be a lot of them and you're going to have to argue with them. Yeah. One of this and it's going to be wild.
0: It's going to be wild. come to Washington on January 6th. It's going to be wild. So if anybody within the sound of my voice who's been listening to this podcast for the last four and a half years, or, has been you know, listening to us uh, daily since, since March, um, uh, is you don't have to be convinced by our arguments. Uh, you can still be happy you voted for Trump if you are happy you voted for Trump. You can feel however you want to feel. Um, try, if you can, to isolate your own uh, ideological concerns about the coming democratic dominance of Washington. And even your own concerns about whether or not if you are the sort of person who wants to believe this in the absence of no evidence or in the absence of evidence, excuse me, uh, that the election was stolen. Try to isolate that from the fact that the president of the United States said go to the Capitol and people walk to the Capitol looking for the vice president to murder him, his own vice president, serving not in that capacity as the second in command but as the but as the president of the senate affirming uh and accepting the results of a process that has been in place in this country since
2: 1791 and not to interrupt you because this is very important but it's not as though they weren't capable of this kind of astonishing violence they killed a cop they murdered a police officer
0: yeah somebody murdered a police officer three other four other people died um uh, and you know, I, I want to say one thing. It's good that the leadership of the Capitol Police and the sergeant and all that have resigned because they needed to take responsibility for this event. But if you read about what happened in that first hour, um, the, the Capitol Police are being um, are being defamed. I think. I mean, they were engaged. They there were there were hand to hand battles going on at the ramparts. Um, they just didn't have enough personnel. In place, and this is the other part of reason. The other reason why the president needs to be impeached and removed from office, because there was clear direction, uh, or or the clear understanding that in the in the executive branch, that defensive measures involving the executive branch protecting the sanctity of the Capitol were not to be taken. That is what we have been led to understand. That that. Uh, Uh, the FBI and the, and the the defense department and the sort of the uh, president's control over the national guard. Uh, there was some discussion of whether or not they should be engaged on the 6th of January. And the decision was made either explicitly by the president or by one of his or, or in the kind of, um, what would you call it? The penumbras and emanations from the oval office that this was not to happen. Uh, Thus an act of omission, a del- an act of deliberate omission of of authority uh, that also led to this uh, event happening. Um, now let me uh, just step back for a minute and talk to you about our friends at the Bonson group. Um, today of all days, it's a good time to talk about it. The jobs report came out and it's terrible, absolutely terrible and depressing it looks like. Uh, the uh, coronavirus surge has has had a deleterious effect on, on the economy uh, just in the last uh, month or two months. And so uh, job growth has not only stalled but reversed itself. Um, and uh, you need to know what to do uh, in an investment climate like the one that we are now entering. And that's why you should consider the kind of advice, guidance, and ideas you will get from the Bonson Group Uh, a wealth management firm with over $2.5 billion in assets under management where every single day is an intellectual journey. Client communications are a way of life. And every bit of the perspective that you get from the Bonson Group on the economy and capital markets comes from their own fresh analysis, original, personal, serious, hard data analysis, and opinion on what You are to understand the intersection of politics and finance uh, can be the workings of the Fed, the relevance of monetary policy, the intersection of policy and investing, and how markets work. And you get from the Bonson Group your own bespoke family office experience. You can read the Bonson Group's weekly investment commentary at DividendCafe.com. You can read its daily market updates at the DCToday.com And you got to check out the Bonson Group for a refreshing antidote to the laziness and intellectual spaghetti that is today's investment advice industry. The Bonson Group, where an actual economic worldview sits on the foundation of the best investment advice in the industry. And we thank the Bonson Group as always for sponsoring the commentary magazine podcast.
3: Can I, can I say one more thing about the Capitol police and and not defaming them? Um, We, and also because I, I will never miss an opportunity to, to hold my hideous mayor responsible for her ineptitude. She issued a letter on January 5th, uh, asking that no further federal officers or troops or anything come to the district without her approval, saying, we don't need them here. We know there are these protests, but we don't want those people here. In the same way that, remember, in, in the Pacific Northwest, when there was a lot of Antifa activity this summer, the, the local Democratic mayors are like, we don't want your feds here. That's going to escalate. That's going to escalate things. So this was clear an example where the, the Capitol Hill police, once overwhelmed because there weren't enough, there wasn't enough show of force, behaved as they're supposed to, which is not to become more aggressive with the with the mob, but to fall back and do what it can to manage it until they get reinforcements. So some of that responsibility also is at rest at the feet of, of Washington, D.C.'s incompetent mayor. And there are a lot of local demands now for statehood because of this, which is ironic because it's their own incompetence that led to uh, this debacle. And now they're claiming that she should be given more responsibility. as. A-
0: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, this then gets to a point that Abe uh, uh, has, has made a couple of times this week and that... Uh, we should talk about again, which is that um, uh, this is not both sidesism, but uh, we have just been through a year in which uh, the clarifying purposes of violent responses to political or you know perceived uh, moral failures or practical failures on the part of the country uh, were uh, both uh, denied. The, the fact that that was going on was denied, and the acts themselves were excused. Uh, none of this either justifies what happened or speaks to uh, the, the specific political impulses uh, of people supporting the president who believed that it was okay to try to sack the Capitol. But uh, it does come after six months of apologia for political violence.
1: Yeah, and, and even without the apologia, um, just just the fact of it, I mean, you talked about the, the sort of the, the, the thinkability aspect of um, sacking the Capitol, but even the think about, thinkability element of this kind of um, uh, level of political violence, I think it was something that was introduced uh, into the country this year. It, it was w- watching everything that happened over the summer, including um, uh, mobs at the White House, including attacks on federal buildings um, for three months straight in Portland, um, uh, 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 all of which, by the way, involved, you know, getting in um, police's uh, uh, faces and um, yelling at them and throwing things at them and all of that. Um, uh, That became a kind of, New model for how political activism is done, um, and we've and we've seen throughout the year there has been this, as I've said before, this cross pollinization in the tactics of extreme groups in the country, um, with uh, one side taking from the other, um, uh, and so on. And I, I I do I I can't help but think, and it, again, as John said, it's not at all an excuse, and it's not an explanation. But I can't I can't help but think that um, to to some degree this wouldn't have, uh, happened or played out the way it did without the predicate of just this countrywide, um, uh, uh, uh running political violence, um, that, that we've seen on the left, uh, or since, since May.
0: I mean, so to try to tease out both the, uh, the commonalities and the differences, um, you know, it's a worthwhile enterprise. I'm not sure that we have enough perspective on this to, to, uh, to do that um, except to say that extremism is extremism. And there was an effort to portray what went on in Portland and Seattle and some other places in particular uh, as though it were not extremism. Um, But it was. And so I, as far as I can tell, there is no voice at the present that seems as yet to be structuring itself in the same way or going at it in the same way. I mean, I haven't watched uh, One America Network. I haven't watched Newsmax. I don't know what they're doing. Um, uh, so I don't know, I don't know whether there is a, there is a Trumpian press or a sort of a, a kind of in, insurrectionary press that is coming up with excuses. Uh, but it's not the guy on CNN or MSNBC saying this is mostly peaceful while buildings burn behind him.
3: Okay, but this is a this is a really important thing that I think going forward we have to be we I really here's something where both sides really do need to be aware of this. So all during the summer, because I, again I have a lot of friends on the other side of the aisle, and when I bring up things like I'll say you know the old some quote unquote summer of love, ironically where you know several people were shot and killed in these autonomous zones and Antifa was laying siege you know to federal courthouses. And they, some of them were like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they weren't being disingenuous. They, it was not covered in the media right. that they get. It was not filtered through their bubbles on social media. They thought, cause they don't look at the Twitter feeds of the people who are covering this stuff on the ground and they don't read alternative sources that aren't the mainstream media. So they actually, when they saw a guy standing from a burning building, it said mostly peaceful. That's the first thing they thought it must be because that seemed such an outlier. And I think there's something similar that happens on the right side of the aisle, which is that, you know, very quickly you saw the conspiracy theorizing of Antifa had infiltrated this pro-Trump mob and they're the ones who did all the damage and they're the ones to blame. And and that actually is a believable conspiracy to people who don't look outside their bubbles for information. And that part of it plays into a lot of these questions now about the platforms deplatforming Trump, Facebook's banned. You know, all of this is going to continue to create more polarization in our system. Look, we get
0: emails. I get 25, 30 emails a day. I'm on these sort of email chains that people add me to that uh, sometimes they're readers of the magazine. So I don't want to offend them by asking them to take me off their email chain. Sometimes I find them useful to hear, to sort of see what, you know, ordinary people are saying, but I mean, I get dozens of them a day. And since the election, um, and this is an important point to make about the bubbles There are people who have only heard that the election was stolen uh, and have paid no attention to, to, you know, other people are saying, they're saying court cases, you know, 60, uh, it's now I think uh, one successful court case in Pennsylvania on a small technical matter and 62 cases against, uh, against the Trump campaign or associated people. In their efforts to deal with election irregularities or whatever it was, right? I think it's it's one in sixty-two. They don't know that really, and th- what they know is there's an enormous amount of evidence. What about the truck that did this? What about the ballots that were shredded? The stuff that we heard Trump saying to Brad Raffensperger on that on that taped phone call. Um, and Raffensperger is saying, well, no, that didn't happen. No, that's not true. No, that's not... Okay, so imagine a world of people who actually don't know that it's not true. That's what's new, I would say, is that is this siloing of information so that there's a certain degree of innocence, not among the people who were storming the Capitol, but the people who would be inclined to say, well, why haven't... Why? You know When we talk this way, or I write stuff in the New York Post uh, calling Trump's behavior disgusting or whatever, say, why haven't you said anything about Antifa? Why haven't you said anything about the riots in the summer? And it's like, i <laughs> what are you talking about? We spent five hours a week on this podcast talking about it. I wrote about it. I wrote columns about it. I wrote blog posts about it. I wrote articles about it. What is the matter with you? But they don't know. What they know is... This is what I this is what me and my friends are saying and therefore it must be true and not only must it be true but they they in these writings they say things like are you crazy everybody knows the election was stolen i mean and they mean it it's not it's they mean it it's like because they don't know anybody
2: who thinks the election
0: wasn't stolen
2: it is so tragic that they have been deliberately misled and the people who have been deliberately misled them need to be punished right Uh, i don't know how to do that there's now there's like efforts to uh expel ted cruz and josh Hawley from the senate for doing what they're obliged and privileged to do as lawmakers that's nonsense there's right. even an effort to censure them. I don't see what the grounds for censure is here. As much as I want them right. to take responsibility right. for their actions, those avenues are not available to you. No. It shouldn't
0: be. No, they are allowed under the rules of the, <laughs> under law and, and rule and custom to object to the electors. That is part of our law. And what they did was legal. Was it shameful? Yes. Are they disingenuous? Yes. Are they full of shit? Yes. Is Ted Cruz having the gall and the nerve to complain that Trump's rhetoric has really been too, has gone too far and he's thought so since 2017? It Does he actually believe, look, I, I know Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz did commentary uh, a nice favor a couple of years ago. He came, he spoke at our roast. I'm grateful to him. For for that uh, he's said complimentary things to me. His behavior has been disgraceful. He is a demagogic, false face liar, and uh, and what he needs to be ashamed because he didn't do anything illegal, but has he behaved in an immoral fashion? Yes. Has Josh Hawley behaved in an immoral fashion? The speech he made and the things he said yesterday when his book contract was canceled about how all he was doing was raising questions about the integrity of the election. He's not raising questions. about. He claimed that the election was stolen. He wasn't just raising questions. He's a liar. I mean, you know, it used to be that it was bad to be a liar. I I, I don't know. You know, it was like the worst thing you could say about somebody that they were a liar. And now, because lies are now seen as evidence of, uh, com- uh, of of a commitment to principle or purpose or uh, or because you can lie about the small thing because you are in fact speaking to a deeper truth
3: is that is that where we, is that where we are? Is that what where we are as conservatives? Well, the and the da- there's a there's there are two dangers here, right? Yes, we are. Unfortunately, the conspiracy theorizing on the right, particularly the QAnon-style conspiracy theorizing that occurs kind of off the radar screen of a lot of mainstream informational outlets but thrives on social media, is a huge problem for conservative the conservative movement and the Republican Party going forward. It is and it has not been adequately tackled. Um there's another parallel problem that infects uh, sort of more mainstream and and certainly uh, de- the democratic left, which is the idea that that their n- news sources are absolutely factually accurate, and that the real problem are the people who say fake news. Right? They point. I had a friend who, in, in total earnestness, told me the other day, "Well, the real problem here is that Republicans uh, don't accept that CNN is, is factually based reporting." I sent her the link to the settlement they had to give the Covington Catholic kids for defaming them with, you know, factually inaccurate reporting. The problem is that I think on the other side it controls most of the major institutions and it doesn't understand that they're that it should question them because they're getting reinforcement. We see this in the way the New York Times reporting has shifted over the last few years. We see this with the star up and coming reporters talking about my truth and their moral uh, requirement for their reporting to reflect that. That is a change that's not good for the other side either. And it's bad for the country. It it, it has the effect of polarizing people because it drives away skeptics, because the skeptics are told that not just that they're wrong or inaccurate, but that they're immoral for even questioning whatever the ideological news of the day is uh well let now let's uh, my soapbox ran just silent no 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 no, <laughs> no
0: no no no, i mean it's, it's it's depressing sorry i mean i you know again this is what strikes me as interesting about this moment and this hinge moment in 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 political history um i think i said this the other day but i just want to see if we can sort of uh, uh expand on it um when things happen that are bad, you know, uh, the O j verdict, uh, I think was the was the war the thing that I remember being a kind of alteration moment that you know, that this this crime that we saw we effectively saw committed in real time. Involving somebody who fled from justice, driving away, you know, throwing gloves and whatever, and then he gets acquitted and you're like, uh, oh my God, like this really just happened uh, in front of everybody that uh, making uh, that uh, both uh, because of celebrity and because of race, somebody uh, who uh, sliced people's heads near off in a, in a, in a jealous rage. Uh, you know, is, is getting away with it. Right. I mean, that was, so that was 25 years ago or uh, yeah, like 25 <laughs> years ago um, that uh, we are, when you say things like that's dangerous, that's really dangerous. Like it's bad that that happened. It's not just bad because Nicole Brown Simpson and um, uh, and, and young Mr. And Ron Goldman uh, did not get justice. Uh but because it, it, it speaks to something bad in our character, it's bad. Or, you know, Trump saying they should knock heads together in 2016 is bad. Uh, Trump saying that, uh, you know, I prefer heroes who aren't shot, you know, I prefer people who aren't shot down is bad. It's dangerous. It's bad. It's dangerous. But there was always something empty and hollow about the bad, dangerous thing because you didn't know what the predicate was. It's dangerous because it is going to lead to X um well in, in Trump's case, we now know from what just happened, and we had some sense of it from uh Charlottesville, but um Charlottesville of course, did not involve the um did not involve an, att- an attack on one of the branches of our government um but we had some sense of it we had some sense of it all along, and you know his disgusting tweets and his foul misogynistic treatment of female reporters and female members of Congress and all of that stuff. But it's like, it's This is bad. It's really bad. It's bad. And then that's why, you know, the Lincoln Project and Bill Crystal, the Bulwark and people like that are like, you know, we have to get him out of there. It sort of doesn't matter how or why it's bad. He's dangerous. It's bad. But as I said, you can't do that. We don't, we don't, convict people for crimes they didn't commit uh, uh, and because their behavior is bad and, you know, all of that. Well, now we know what it meant when you said it's dangerous, you're playing with fire. You know, you're playing with fire. Well, now we know what that fire is. So um, the Republican Party is in the thrall. The Republican Party and the conservative movement have both fallen under the thrall of this guy, Um, their extrication from him, their divorce from him, our divorce from him needs to be thorough and complete.
2: Um, and I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't either, but even on Wednesday morning, um... You had people like, I think it was, I think his name is Josh Holmes, who's like the the McConnell whisperer, former McConnell staffer. Basically everything that comes out of his mouth is, is, you know, the, the, the true feelings and sentiments of the majority leader. And on Wednesday morning, he was, you know, saying we're, we're, no one's going to war with Trump. You know, this is, we're going to, everybody's live and let live coexistence. We're all going to move forward together as one party and one coalition. He was not interested in war, but war was interested in him and what occurred in the in the hours that have followed 48 hours so far is a, a sleeping giant has been awakened you've seen the establishmentarians in the gop resign themselves to ideological political combat within their own coalition they never wanted it for 10 years we've been hearing about the gop civil war that was never happening because there was only one side that was waging it the other side was either deferential or doing its best to to hash out some sort of a peace that could be uh, that could yield some sort of a coalition government within this party and it has fallen apart and you've seen people now resign themselves to a really bad set of circumstances that will sap the republican party of power but they seem resolved and resigned to the fact that there will have to be a reckoning here with this with this coalition of of voters whom um they cannot live with now, you can't expurgate people from a party. No party with an interest in self-preservation would do such a thing. But you can stigmatize and anathematize an idea. And Trumpism is an idea that needs to be anathema. And you're beginning to see people who think now that we can't avoid this conflict. It is upon us.
1: But, but to truly do that, you have to accept um, th- some, some political cost. I mean, to, yes. to, to really... Un- they, and they've never been willing right. to absorb that cost up until now.
3: Well, and now that we have two years of political wilderness ahead for the Republicans, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started taping, but right now there is a real power vacuum for exactly that message, Noah, which I think you're absolutely right, needs to happen. I mean, you've got like the Tom Cottons and the Liz Cheneys, you've got a few consistently principled Republican uh, politicians who are going to have to navigate this very difficult terrain. And I hope for the sake of the party that they manage to do that. But there's no clear leadership. McConnell is compromised. Uh, So are many of the others who tried, again, to to, uh, kind of have it both ways because they wanted to retain power. So Two years of political wilderness for Republicans, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in those two years. They're going to have a lot on their plate.
0: <laughs> I mean, there are going to be interesting test cases. I mean, for example, Chip Roy, the congressman from Texas, uh, who uh, is from South Texas around San Antonio, who was Ted Cruz's chief of staff, rose uh, on the floor of the House on Wednesday night and said he was not going to object to any challenge I mean he was not going to he was not going to participate in any challenge he was not going to object to the seating of any electors and he said quote if this signs my political death warrant so be it
2: um, now the institutionalists have been sitting on a lot of silent artillery for a well, long time we, we hope they that have instruments at their, that are available to them that they've not resorted to okay but
0: Ronna Romney McDaniel the the chairman of the RNC moved the winter meeting of the RNC at which the new leadership of the RNC was going to be chosen up to avoid Georgia and got herself reelected as chairman of the RNC she will be chairman of the RNC for 2 years that means that Donald Trump Jr and Ivanka Trump and Eric Trump and baron trump and lara leah trump and donald trump and you know and melania trump and 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 uh, god knows whoever it, everyone the,
3: forgets tiffany don't forget uh, tiffany, tiffany. Trump,
0: <laughs> tiffany i don't know why why should i remember her trump doesn't remember her um and and you know everybody except mary trump right is going to be running the is going to be running the republican party so I don't know what the,
3: that's now. I, I, what I is, still I stand by by Puerto Rico should be made the Isle of Elba for the Trump family idea. I'm standing by that. Don't make it a state. Puerto Rico? Okay, maybe not Puerto Rico. Find an atoll an a- and turn it into the Elba for the Trump but, family. But I
0: mean this this is the thing, is that it's not clear that the institution of the Republican Party um isn't itself now a vehicle for Trump. Now something may have happened. I mean that's what would have been the case if Wednesday had not happened, without question. We don't know what the lingering effects and results will be. And in this sense, the Georgia results are a double tragedy, because at the very least, had Republicans maintained this you know, razor-thin majority in the Senate, Mitch McConnell would have been the leader of the Republican Party. Uh, because he would have been the one official in the federal government in Washington with power. And he is now the minority leader of the chamber. And that is not a very powerful position, Um, uh, particularly in this kind of atmosphere in which it's not as though he can deal nine senators in to play games with Chuck Schumer because the Republican party is not going to go in that direction. So, Maybe they have a lot of institutional, <clears throat> you know, they've left a lot of institutional power on the sidelines. I'm not sure where that institutional power is. And sadly, or not so sadly, uh, that means that the fight go, the fight for this, and not just for the Republican Party, but for the conservative movement, um, is a fight for people like us. I mean, is the thing that we're going to have to do. And I think we've been trying to do it bunch of people left the party, right? Left the Republican Party. We are not part of the Republican Party. Commentary is a 501c3 nonprofit institution. It is not a partisan institution. We are conservatives, not Republicans. But a whole bunch of people said, you know what? I'm done. I'm out of here. You know, Biden should win and everybody should this. And Linda Chavez, our, our friend Linda Chavez, left the party. And Bill Kristol's left the party. And the, everyone around the bulwark has pretty much left the party. And everyone, you know... Uh, Stuart stevens and uh, steve schmidt and uh, rick wilson and all those people have 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 said that you know what happened now we're just going to be basically uh f- to the democrats what the neoconservatives were to the republicans in the 1970s well we that's not us that's not national review that's not other people and and w- we're gonna have to fight for the soul of the right
1: and you know here's the the absolutely maddening part of this <clears throat> when you because you're right. When you get down to it, it, it is a fight about ideas. And as Noah said, you can you can um, fight to expunge an idea, not the people. But the problem with Trumpism is that at a certain point, it has ceased to be an idea. It is an alternative reality. It is an alternate reality, and that makes it that makes the fighting very very hard. Because you can if it's if it when it's ideas. You can argue and you can say, "See, this is bad, this doesn't work, this works. This, I, I seed your point there, I get this, I get that." The whole idea of, you know, when did lying um, stop becoming this sort of the most shameful thing ever is predicated on the understanding that there is a shared reality that you can then bounce against uh, someone's statements and say that's a lie. If if you are right. if you are living in an in in, in a and I, I don't I'm not trying to be you know goofy about this but if you are living in another reality um, they are not lying they this right. is the
2: that's problem right. that I encounter so that's probably a more succinct way of putting it and, and really gets at the heart of the matter more than my thoughts on it do but the problem that I always I've, I've encountered for years now arguing that these ideas need to be stigmatized is that the people who adhere to them cannot divorce that from their identity. Their very person is that you can't say, you know, we need to get this, this idea is self-defeating and it's kind of dangerous and it's, it's not helping anybody. So we need to you know, remove it from the political spectrum, which has been done before. There are examples that parties have done before to stigmatize dangerous ideas within their coalition, but they say, you're talking about me. This is, you want me to be j- jettisoned from the face of the earth. And that, that, to, that is, you know, you're, it's an existential crisis and they'll go to war with you over it, which is the power imbalance mm-hmm. that we've been experiencing is that one side regards this as a fight of ideas. The other side regards it as an existential fight for their very right to exist.
0: Right. But, and, and that's, of course, that's where we get into the oldest human problem that we know about in, you know, in basically in civilization, which is uh, idolatry. Um, the, all of this has to do with making fetishes out of things that should not be worshiped. Um, uh, not just people, not just politicians, not just Donald Trump as a fetish, but all kinds of things that are not, should not be uh, fetishes. That's why, you know, that is the 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 heart of the Judeo-Christian tradition is that, um, you know, idolatry is a sin and that you are not to worship that which is not eternal and on, on omniscient and omnipotent and invisible and everywhere. Uh, this is a very... Central point, and it gets to you know the danger of uh, what might be called secular paganism, where you get into these circumstances in which people, people's religious impulses, sort of things, for which you know the exist, what is genuinely existential, get translated or transferred into, you know, you can't tell me to wear a mask, you know, you can't tell me that I'm, you know. I, what is that Wesley Snipes thing where he, that, that world of people who, who decide that they won't, they don't believe in currency and won't pay taxes? You sovereign don't, citizens. The sovereign citizens movement, right? You can't tell me how I'm supposed to, you know, you, you, you don't, you, it is not legitimate for you to have any sway or control over any aspect of, of, of my of my life. And um, and so, in, in some fundamental sense, you're dealing with an irrational, uh, religious impulse that has been that has been sort of uh, t- t- twisted into a very. Uh, Weaponized, twisted into a very dangerous force.
3: And, and broadly speaking, it's the same argument we've long made about identity politics. It has that same it has that same pernicious right. effect on people, and so you end up in situations where you point to someone's behavior, which they're pursuing out of ideological zeal, and say this is harmful to. This X, what you're doing is harmful to Y. And you're basically, instead of having some argument on principle and looking at the real, as Abe says, the real facts, the, the real universe of reality we all inhabit, you're accused of basically kink shaming. It's like, well, this is my thing. So how dare you? Yeah. you know, you're the moral uh, horror, horror because you're telling me what I do is wrong. I mean, it's terrible. It's very bad yeah. political culture.
0: <laughs> right. But and as I say, we now we've been saying this is terrible. Right. That's what I'm saying. We've been saying for 30 years, oh, my God, postmodernism is dangerous. Right. Uh, th- this way of, of viewing the world, uh, you know, extreme relativity, extreme subjectivity, all of that to get very you know, highfalutin is very dangerous. It's uh, balkanizing. It's separating. It, it means that we don't we're not a e pluribus unum. We're something else. We're a gorgeous mosaic. We're not a melting pot like that's bad, not good. But what are the consequences of the badness? And the consequences of the badness are you got a guy who ends up as president of the United States and he sends a mob of just a couple hundred people to go storm the Capitol under other circumstances. Had they gotten there faster? Had they tricked people? I don't know, whatever. Maybe they could have killed the vice president. Maybe they could have shot a couple of senators. Maybe they wouldn't have been hustled out to Fort McNair. We don't know. I mean, you know, this is a close run thing. This was not like, oh, well, no one was ever really in danger the way it is when, you know, some lunatic tries to scale the White House fence, right? I mean, that's some guy tries to scale the White House fence. There are 300 Secret Service people between him and the president, not to mention, you know, half an acre between the fence and the building. He's not getting through. Right. But uh, so, you know, it's not like it's not like after the assassination, att- you know, the the assassination of John F. Kennedy and the assassination of Ronald Reagan or the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan. These guys are really in that much uh, personal threat anymore because they live basically in a cordon sanitaire at all times in all places. But, um, uh, you know, and so there was some kind of weird, you know, there's some kind of weird naivete about how how easily what happened could have happened. I mean, you know, not, that it couldn't have happened or it can't happen here. And guess, you know, it can't happen here. Yes, it
1: can. I mean, it It, did. it, it, had, was, it I mean, has something in common with 9-11 in that sense, in that um, when the towers were attacked, you said, oh, I guess anyone could have done that. I mean, if they, they were willing to commandeer a, a planes and fly them into the building, yes, they could. They, oh, you know, that, that was the, the same thinkability element that that well I and there was I,
3: systemic a failure, failure of
1: imagination
3: and
2: yeah. so because we all failed at imagination we need to now imagine everything right right <laughs>
3: Well, right. okay. that's why the health of the system is important, because whether it's like a, a, the space shuttle Challenger blowing up, the 9-11 uh, terrorists pulling off their thing, there were at every there were points at everything along the way when you reconstruct how that happened where we it could have been stopped or it might have been prevented. And so that's actually, in a weird way, what we need to do with our political culture right now is go back and figure out at what point we can do that so we can avoid it yeah. in the future.
0: Right. So with that, uh, we will uh, wish you as, as, uh, as happy a weekend as you can have. And for C1 uh, Monday, for Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.